Welcome to Refresh This Week, where Juliet broke my heart. <laughs> as always. <laughs> as always, by telling me that protein ice creams and yogurts aren't. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And we thought we were onto a good thing. Yeah. Right? So what are all these protein ice creams we're seeing and yogurts we're seeing? Okay. So if you've walked in this, into the supermarket recently, you probably would have seen um, some new ice creams. Um, some of them are Halo Top, mm. Fro Pro. There's a lot of Pro. And then there's yes. Yo Pro, which is a new brand of yogurt. Yes. Nothing but to do with Go Pro. No. <laughs> pro 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 Pro. <laughs> so it's... Pro, fro, yo. Like it's frozen yogurt, it's got protein in it. No, I don't think it's frozen. I think it's oh, just normal. Okay, wow. I know it's confusing. Anyway, so these um, these products kind of boast that they're low calorie, high protein, low sugar, or natural ingredients. Yes. But as with anything, you kind of think it Is seems it too good, too to, be good true? to be true. Yeah. It does. So um, I spoke to um, a dietitian about them. And the first thing she said was, it's great that so many companies are kind of making these products for people. Mm hmm. You know, they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's really into health and protein. Yep. Um, but she also was a little bit concerned about some of the ingredients, mainly the artificial sugar. Yeah. Mm. So this depends on who you talk to, but I think for me personally, I'm kind of, I would probably err on the safe side yeah, because totally. we just don't know everything about artificial sugars. Yes. And that's kind of what And she so they're said. putting artificial sugars in instead of real sugar yeah. because they're trying to make it low lower calorie. calorie. Exactly. Right. Okay. So it's um, fake sweet, but it still tastes sweet. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. she was kind of saying, um, you know, when you're having those artificial sugars, yes, it kind of feels good at the time, but later on, your brain is a bit confused by artificial sugars. because yes, it's not something it understands. Yeah, so yeah. you tend to seek out more sugar later, later. in the day. And I believe Ugh. that um, fake sugars still spike your insulin the same way that real sugars do. I'm not, Don't quote me on yeah. that, but I read something... <laughs> Anyway, it might be, yeah, but it has been linked to things like diabetes and yeah. all those we kind just of don't really horrible know diseases. Yet, we do just we? don't know. Which yeah. sucks because I love Coke Zero so hard. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> have you had the new one? No. Oh, anyway, different, 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 topic. different story for a different time. <laughs> but yeah, so but also she what said, I find yeah. interesting with this is, and this is how I think, I'm like, oh, it's healthier, so I can eat twice as much. Exactly. And that's probably the problem. Yeah. That you think, oh, I'm reaching for a healthy ice cream, yeah. but really it's still a sometimes food, that's she so said. That's so true. It is a sometimes food. And she does, she did say, yes, it is probably a little bit healthier than okay. normal ice cream. Yeah. Um, but even better, just kind of try and make your own. Yes, like, I loved that. Yeah. So you can either, I know it's not as great as ice cream, but you can um, f- you can blend frozen bananas with mm. like cacao powder, which is actually delicious. Is really I promise, because I've tried all those like healthy, and yeah. I'm, normally I'm like ew and put it in the bin. Mm. But that's actually <laughs> delicious. It's actually really good. So it yeah. makes like a banana natural kind of ice cream. Then you can you know put cacao nibs on top or coconut shreds. Yeah. So just maybe get a little bit more creative. And if you are going to have this you know protein ice cream, have it, but treat it like it's regular yes. ice cream, and just it's a treat. Exactly. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. Um, the next one I wrote, um, the easy way to tell if your relationship needs work. People Ooh. love relationship stories. Mm. This is obvious, but I think when you're in a situation like this, you might be in a bit of denial. So mm. the simple thing is to just ask yourself, is there distance between us, either emotionally or physically? So are you not as intimate as you usually are or are you not talking as much as you usually are about the, the proper topics? Yeah. Do you feel lonely in your relationship, which yeah. is... Really That's not interesting. A nice feeling, isn't it's it? not, no. but you can feel lonely, yeah. Yeah. you know, while you're with someone. And intimacy is also, as you go into the story, Lee, like it's not just between the sheets. It's yes. like giving each other a kiss when you come home yeah. or like holding hands or touching when you're yeah. on the couch totally. and things like that. Yeah. And I think that that's why, because it's those little things that 
they might be slipping away, but you're like, oh, no, mm. we're fine. And this is all about, you know, identifying those little things and trying to get back on track before you um, before it gets worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so if you expect that your partner is kind of slipping away from you physically or emotionally, you need to have a chat to them, but don't be accusing. Don't ask, you don't do this, mm-hmm. you don't do that. Mm. You know, you've got to use language that's like, we and I feel this way and I'm concerned about you. Yeah. Which is pretty obvious, but... um. You know, but I think it's easy to do. To be yes, like, mm. or just you not don't talk touch at all. me anymore. Yeah. You don't talk to me anymore. Like yes. I reckon that's a really easy trap to fall into. Actually. I agree. So it's kind of like taking the emotion out of it. Yeah, and then they suggest working on working with a therapist proactively. So if you're in a good place, you're a great, you know, great couple. Go once a year and have a little top up and work on things before they really kind of get bad. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, would you do that? <sighs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just, I think that it's, you know, we're so busy. You've got your work, you've got your friends, you've got your family. It is easy because you live together for that to kind of come last. Yeah. And you, you, the risk is you turn into kind of flatmates, which mm-hmm. you don't really want to happen. So I can see a place why, you know, just a check in and, you know. There's no harm in, you know, talking to someone. There's yeah. Nothing bad's going to Particularly come if it. you guys aren't good communicators. You know, I've got some friends that they're very happy but they don't really talk about their relationship because they're like oh we're just doing it but you sometimes have to talk about it and work on it so i can see why um you know proactive therapy could work definitely very interesting now, Emily, you wrote this one. Why are you writing so many work stories? <laughs> because they do well. Because they nearly do do everyone well. has a job and people want to... That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so not getting ahead at work, these four habits could be why. Yeah, this is really interesting, actually. Um, so I spoke to Karen Gately, um, who's a leadership and people management specialist, and she had some really interesting thoughts about this. I was expecting her to be like, oh, if you're always late or like things like that. But yes. what she actually had to say... was really different and Mm. surprising. So her number one thing was busyness. I love this so much. I hate people who complain about being busy. And I was like, isn't that meant to be like great? Like you're really busy at work Mm. and you're firing in all cylinders. And her point was like, look, it's a modern world. Everyone's busy. Yeah. It's not special. Yeah, you're Get not over special. yourself. Yeah, like, <laughs> I love that so much. It's such a reality check. Yeah. She said business is a choice. So um, basically if you're too busy to achieve the core objective of your role, yeah. then you're... You're either not managing your time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or you're focusing on, and I get this is really easy to do, like um, things like emails that feel like they need to be responded Mm -hmm. to really urgently. Yeah, exactly. And being like, but if you're too busy, like for me, if I'm too busy replying to emails and to get my articles done for the day, then I'm not doing my job, even though I might be flat out. Yeah. And even though emails are part of your, you know, part of your job. I found that really interesting. Yeah, 100%. She also said a lack of courage, which um, sadly she said was um, particularly relevant to the female workforce. Mm. That'd be right. Yeah. We've got to back ourselves more. Yeah, Mm. and she said that a lot of times people will wait, um, women especially, will wait to put their hands up opportunities because they think they're not quite qualified yet. They're like, oh, I just need to get this one other other thing under my belt or whatever. And she's like, go for it. Yeah. and, and just say yes and then work it out later. Yeah. Everyone's doing that. <laughs> yeah, fake it till you make, <laughs> it. it, till you make it. <laughs> I thought the failing to manage your energy was so interesting because I it only took me the last few years to really understand that I've got to manage my energy throughout the day. I'm best in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty hopeless in the afternoon. So I do all my important stuff in the morning. And like you said, the emails and the admins in the Arvo. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. But some people don't 
understand that concept. Yeah, no, no, and that's a big thing. And she said, and look, and she said, look, of course, and she said, just taking care of yourself um, generally. Because if you think about it, you do spend so much time yeah. at work mm. and, you know, making sure you eat well and sleep well, all of that's going to feed back into your performance at work as well. Totally. And um, finally... Um, ego. I love this one too. <laughs> basically, <laughs> leave it at the door. Yeah. Um, and she basically just said, you know, ego can be a healthy amount of ego can be good because yeah. you know it makes you self confidence. Yes, all that all kind of stuff. But if it's out of balance, yes. Ugh. If you think you're too good to do some tasks, yeah. Yeah. And he said, and this is the bit that I love the most. He said, most fundamentally, ego stops us from learning. Yeah. And that if so you're like, true. I can totally do this job like the end, yes. then you're not going to yeah. learn and expand you know, and, and that's going to stop you from getting ahead. So Very those are her four interesting. tips. They're so Love not what it. I thought someone would say. No, isn't really she great? Cool. Yeah. And Juliet, you wrote six ways to start improving your gut health yes. today. So we're finally understanding just how important gut health is. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. It's like amazing. the second brain they're calling it. Yeah. And really? It affect, I haven't yes. heard that. Oh, yeah. It can affect anxiety and depression and yep. all sorts of things. It's if absolutely your gut incredible. biome isn't healthy. Yeah. So how do we do that? All right. So uh, I guess we should first off start with some symptoms if of, you know, when you do have bad gut health. So these are things like constipation, um, gassiness, even mm. foggy, if you have a foggy head, yes. poor mood. Um, it's pretty incredible. It's yeah. quite vast. Yeah. Um, yeah and it's then, not just some hippie thing you're going to read oh, about no. on a blog anymore. No, like this there's is, research yeah, to back it up. This is proper stuff. This is good, really good. Um, so I think these tips are, you know, we always come back to them yep. a lot. It's um, good to refresh. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So number one is eat more vegetables. Mm -hmm. So veggies, <laughs> <laughs> veggies. <Lazy. laughs> yeah. <laughs> so fiber helps to um, keep the gut healthy, and also the nutrients that we get from it help our body systems kind of to work um, effectively. Next, we've got um, again mostly just fiber. So fiber yes. can be found in whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and your veggies, yeah. exactly. Um, then we've got prebiotic-rich foods. So yes, a lot I of us find really interesting. Yeah, so a lot of us think of probiotics when it comes to gut health. Yes. Um, but prebiotics are actually feeding the bacteria the, the, the good in bacteria. the gut, the good bacteria. Yes. So um, they're a type of non-digestible fiber, mm. and they're found in things like um, bananas, especially when they're a little bit underripe. Oh, that's Ooh, how I yummy! Like that's yeah. success. Um, <laughs> Garlic, I onion, love garlic. Yeah, onion, whole grains, and then um, veggies, but there are some specific ones like, like Brussels broccoli. sprouts and broccoli. Yum. It's pretty cool. Oh, my God. No wonder I'm so healthy. I, I know. <laughs> You're a vision. And, and then we've vision. got um, more probiotic-rich food. So she, um, the dietitian I talked to said, first line of defense is getting your probiotic probiotics from food yes so things like yogurt so much i mean yeah. you can supplement with the pill but yep. try and get it in your diet exactly okay. and if you do want to supplement go to your doctor because you need to find the right strain for yes your don't just buy what's on sale at the yeah. discount pharmacy exactly okay that's good to know so yeah yogurt's that's exactly what medicine. i would do so that's some good advice <laughs> <laughs> like it's Me special. oh my god that's my life i know um a few other things um drink wisely so that means you know reduce alcohol um and increase water mm -hmm. and then um reduce junk food intake so these I hated sadly, that line. unfortunately the gut doesn't like processed I fatty know, sugary foods even if aka the western yeah. diet yeah. You say? yeah yeah it's pretty, pretty interesting pretty interesting well, now we're going to hear again from Dr. Brad McKay. He's from Embarrassing Bodies, and he was in a few weeks ago speaking to Libby Jane, one of our journalists. So we're going to hear a little snippet about what he had to say about drug addiction. 
Now, today we'd like to talk about drug abuse, particularly prescription drugs. Now, what are you taking today? Me, I've had nothing apart from a few lollies. Let's just say <laughs> colourful Smarties. <laughs> well, I, I've had my, my, my shot of caffeine for the day. Oh, well, see, I don't have any caffeine, but I do have the odd bit of chocolate, so that's my drug of choice. <laughs> but you, you, you do deal with people who are literally abusing prescription drugs. Now, that, that must be an incredibly tough thing. Mm, well, I, I work in Sydney and Darlinghurst, and we, we have a, a, a large population of people that are that are homeless um, that are that have been abusing drugs for a long time. Um, we have people on um, drug replacement programs as well, like methadone or suboxone, to, to help them if they've been on heroin in the past. But yeah, there's a there's a wide variety of uh, of people who present with with different issues, whether that's prescription drugs, uh, getting drugs over the counter as well, or else um, yeah, buying illegal drugs on the street. There, there's a, a wide range of problems. What about your average person who perhaps has a terrible sporting injury and they do get addicted to their prescription drugs? I mean, how tough is it to help your patients get off those drugs? Well, this is a really common problem and people sort of do this in secret a lot of the time. And they'll often have yeah, a knee injury or uh, some sort of sporting injury. They'll end up in hospital. They might be given some opioid medication there, whether it's morphine in a drip or if it's um, like tablets that contain opiates. Uh, and then they'll go home. They might be given a packet from the hospital or just a few tablets. They might get another prescription from their doctor. Um, and then they'll, whenever they stop it, they'll feel pretty terrible. So they'll either continue to get scripts from a doctor if we're generous enough to uh, to give them a prescription, or else if we're very um, judicious and, and doing the right thing uh, and saying, look, you really need to stop these addictive medications, um, then often people will go into the pharmacy and, and buy uh, medications containing codeine over the counter. And there's lots of different medications. So some will contain paracetamol. So the common ones are panadine or panadine fort is on prescription. Um, and these contain um, like a, a small amount of panadol or paracetamol um, that can help with pain, but also contain codeine as well. Um, there's other medication as well, which contain anti-inflammatories um, and also codeine. And yeah, people will just take bucket loads of these tablets, um, like even 70, 90 tablets plus. Wow. Um, it's like on a daily basis to get that hit of codeine. So if it's containing paracetamol, then if you're taking more than eight tablets a day, then that's going to be poisoning your liver. And so some people end up with liver failure because they've they've been chasing the codeine and they've been forgetting that it's also containing paracetamol as well that can yeah like kill off their liver completely. We also have a lot of people who are if they're having the anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen is one of the ones that that also contains codeine as well, and then these combination medications, that they'll take bucket loads of these tablets, and if you're having over six tablets um, containing uh, ibuprofen, then that will start to kill off your kidneys as well. And there's a lot of people that go in with acute renal failure, acute, acute kidney failure, uh, and they, they need dialysis. The, the, some people need it lifelong, some people just need it for a short period of time until their kidneys recover. But it, yeah, often people don't, they either don't realise that it's a problem, um, or they don't care. And I, I have some patients that are taking terrible amounts and yeah like they're, they're just killing off their kidneys slowly every week they're they're getting closer and closer to renal failure and i've talked to them about it and they're like oh well i don't really care i'll face that when it happens and yeah like for me as a gp i'm just like crying inside just terrible. going oh my god your poor kidneys <laughs> like you've only got two of them and you're destroying both of them at this time but yeah it, it's this addiction that people 
if they stop taking codeine, then they'll get headaches, they'll get really grumpy, the mood changes, um, they might have fights with their partner. Um, yeah, like some people just like to have this codeine bubble that goes around them and protects them a little bit from the world, uh, and that they're quite happy to to go along abusing the medication. Um, what we're trying to do in, at the moment in Australia is change codeine from being an over-the-counter medication to being on prescription. Um, so, so that would make it a little bit safer if people weren't able to just go into the pharmacy and, and buy in bulk a whole bunch of tablets that, that contain codeine um, and kill off their vital organs. Uh, but the other issue as well is that, that they, we do also have doctor shoppers as well um, who go from one GP to the next um, and, yeah, like shop for their medication. And they'll try to pull the wool over their doctor's eyes and, um, yeah, just try to get another prescription for drugs that are potentially abused. Can you tell when that's happening? Like, can you pick right away if, if a patient has clearly gone from doctor to doctor or is there just no way of telling? You're just using your gut instinct. Yeah, so um, there's lots of ways of, of telling. So certainly if a patient is coming into the clinic for the first time, we're always pretty sceptical about that. Like if they're, if they're asking for opioid medication and they've never been seen before um, and they're saying, oh, this is just my regular prescription, can you just write it for me? The, the alarm bells go up because if, if people are on long-term treatment, they should really be seeing that one GP only or, or one pain specialist only only, they shouldn't be having multiple providers. But it's always like, oh, yeah, I've just travelled into state or I've got, (laughs) or oh, yeah, I just ran out the other day or my doctor's away overseas and so I can't contact him. Oh, here's a number. Oh, it's engaged. Yeah, yeah, so there's all of these like crazy stories. Yeah, so one of of the favourite things that I get often is, um, is a a page which sort of describes the a CT scan of somebody's back or describes their leg or their knee um, and it, it's been photocopied and faxed about a thousand times oh and it's really tatty and you're there going, I think they've handed this this a document to quite a few people over their life. So that's a big telltale sign that somebody's yeah, just really um, doing a dodgy. And if you do call them out on it or refuse to give them a prescription, is there much aggro that you encounter? Uh, I think uh, I've I've sort of been trained to address it early. So I often will say to people, look, what did you think I could help you with today? Um, if you think that they're they're sort of like just seeking drugs. And if they're genuine, then they'll they'll sort of say, oh, well, yeah, I'm wanting help with X, Y, Z. Um, if they're sort of drug seeking, then they'll sort of go, oh, well, I'm wanting this particular drug because um, they're cutting to the chase. Uh, and then, yeah, like uh, we, we don't really prescribe. A lot of clinics don't prescribe um, opioid medication or we, we don't particularly don't prescribe it to, to new patients as well. So uh, most of the time, people will sort of, like, when you say no, um, they'll often get up and say, oh, thank you, and then they'll walk outside and then go to the next doctor and they don't waste their time getting angry about it. Uh, it's very rare. Like, I think if you spend a lot of time with somebody and they're, they've sort of, like, told you this very long-winded story and you're trying to, like, be emotionally involved and trying to support them as much as you can, and then um, when you finally say no after about half an hour of, of doing a very thorough consultation to try to be the best doctor that you can, um, then they can be pissed off because 
because you're not giving them what they want. And they've spent all of this time with you trying to convince you <laughs> to give them the oh. medication. So it's this really like a paradoxical way of, of, of thinking. So, yes. You know it's nothing new, though. I mean, just as an aside, I've been researching the life of Bramwell Bronte, who was the brother of Charlotte Anne and Emily. And in the late 1800s, he was addicted to opium. And there's all these accounts of him going from the pharmacist to the pharmacist of the day, and they were all aware of what he was doing. So it's still happening today. Yeah, yeah. People will often go from pharmacy to pharmacy and get over-the-counter products. Um, what what would be a, a major benefit would be having a register, whereas if you went in and bought a, a packet of Panadine Fort, that that would be like tracked and tagged yes. to say that you've already got this drug today. And then if you're going to the next pharmacy just down the street, if we could see what's going on, we could actually prevent a lot of deaths, we could save a lot of kidneys, we could save a lot of livers, um, but we really haven't got there yet in Australia, and there's been a, a lot of sort of push for it. Um, that we're making some ground. Um, a lot of people say, "Oh well, it's Big Brother watching you, and, and how dare you um, know my confidential information?" But if it's going to stop you from killing off your kidneys or needing a liver transplant, it's sort of <laughs> it's a bit of a no-brainer in, in my opinion. It that sounds like it's a safety factor. Sounds like something Dr. Brad needs to get on with, I think. <laughs> So that was Dr. Brad McKay from Embarrassing Bodies. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And please check out the other HuffPost podcasts on our network, including uh, Breaking the Ice and HuffPost Humans. 